Amen. Free, free, forever. We're free. I love that song. And I love it because it, it, one reason it's exactly what we're talking about this series called the freedom of Jesus. That Jesus invites us to freedom. As, 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 before I get going, as, I meant, as uh, Dwayne mentioned, we have a team out in Rocky Point, Mexico, who are down there. And so we do encourage you to pray for them as they're getting ready to come back. Alan's down there with his family. There's about 40 to 50 other people down there making a difference. And I'm so grateful. We are a church that is active in, in sharing the love and truth of Jesus with people in tangible ways by serving them and, and using who, what, we, what God has given us for the benefit of other people. So last week, Alan kicked off a series called The Freedom of Jesus, and he told you guys, he warned you, it was a buy one, get four free deal, right? There's four weeks, and, and so this is week number two. Last week, Alan started by telling us what our problem is. He said, I know what your problem is. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it great to be told I know what your problem is? And he told us, our problem is what? Control. Our problem is control. We all want it, but we can't have it. We want control. We want to be the boss. We want to be the boss of our own lives. And if we're honest, we want to be the boss of other people's lives as well. We want to be in control of our circumstances. We want control. In fact, much of our society and our economy in America is built on giving us control, or at least the perception of control, of trading control, right? That's what money is. Money gives us control over things. We've got a government that's a democracy where we have control over who governs us through the vote, at least ostensibly, right? We, we, we have grocery stores where we get to control what we eat. We can pick. And I don't know about you, but in my lifespan, the variety of items at grocery stores has gotten like tenfold bigger from when I was a kid. Like the produce section alone has weirdly shaped items I've never seen before. We have more control now over what we eat than, than, than ever before. We have tons of control. We have these little things in, in our houses that change channels that we call remote. And when we drive our cars, if we want to set it to go the same speed, we set it on cruise. And, there, and, and if we, we work in a business that produces something, we want to make sure that the quality is good. So we have departments called quality control, right? If you play video games, you play video games with a controller, right? And honestly, Sidebar, I think that's one of the reasons why video games are so popular for many people. It's a way to have a level of control they don't normally have. But, but when, 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 uh, when one party, one political party gets a majority in Congress, we say they have control, right? So we want to have control, and we work so hard, and we trade, and we try to get more and more control. But as much as we want it, there's these, these, these reminders, these constant reminders that we don't really ultimately have control. We don't really have as much control as we would like. Like the line at the DMV, right? Or, or traffic jams, or being stuck on terminal hold with the insurance company, Right? There's these reminders. And that's frustrating. It's frustrating when you don't have control over those things. Or we have this little reminder of 2020 called COVID-19 that we aren't really in control. And not only is it frustrating, it's exhausting. At least it has been for me to be constantly figuring out how do we move forward in the midst of the information is changing and, and what do we do? It's just been an exhausting year to manage all of that. And then there's the biggest reminder of all, the biggest smack you in the face reminder that you're not in control. Death. And, and we, can't, we can't control death. And, and, and it's not just that it's us, but it's that we can't 
control death in regards to a people we love. We don't have a control over our own death. We don't have control over the death of the people we care about deeply. And if, if you've ever gone through that, then you know what I'm talking about. Last month, my dad went in for back surgery. And, uh, uh, and he went through back surgery. Back surgery went really, really well. And then he had some complications afterwards. They had to manage. He, he, had, uh, he started aspirating him problems. So they had to intubate him. And, and then uh, they did that. So he stayed in the hospital for a while. And they started getting better. He was recovering. And so they transferred him to a rehab center. And so on the 26th, I was driving down to visit him at the rehab center. I was so excited because I talked to him on FaceTime the night before. And he was doing so well. And, and as I'm driving down the road, I get a message saying that my dad has gone into cardiac arrest. And they're doing CPR on him at that moment right then. And then a little bit later, I get another text saying that my dad's died. And I never wanted to have control so much. I want to have control. I want to be able to, 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 to bring him back, to, to go back in time and say, don't go through with the surgery. It's not worth it. You know what I'm saying? It's not. And I kept, in my car, I kept saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. And you know, that phrase, it's not fair, is always a statement of control. It's always a statement that says, if I had control, I would be doing this differently. I wanted to bring it back, but the truth, the cold, hard reality is I don't have that control. I don't have it. And I can ask for it all I want, but I'm not going to get it. And you know, the, the scary thing is, is not just death. Not just that I don't have, we don't have control over the death of those we love for ourselves, but we don't have control over what happens after death. We can have beliefs about it, but none of us here gets to have control over what happens after we die. I have no control over what has happened to my father since he passed away. I have none. And, 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 and I can read condolence cards and all these things, but the reality is I have no control over that. And that is scary. Not having control is, is exhausting and it's frustrating and it's scary. And we get stuck in this cycle of, of not having it, continually wanting it and continuing to grab for it and continuing to, to pull and, and, and want more of it in our lives because I think we think that the more control we have, the more happy we'll be. We think, if I can control everything, I can make it so that I get everything I want. I'm not going to have any hardship because I'll get everything that I want and the world will revolve around me and it'll be awesome. No, it won't. Because do you know who I just described? Who, 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 who just described as the person who, who always has to get their way and, and who the world revolves around them? I just described a two-year-old. Right? What would it be like to give all control to a, to a two-year-old? I'm glad we're not in control because the truth is when we are in control, we, we don't always do a very good job of it. Look at our words, how we use our words, how we use technology. As a society, as well, how we use our bodies, how we use the freedoms that we have. Look at how we use that. I mean, in America right now, we have more individual control over, over things than any society in the history of the world. How is that going? 
don't get me wrong, there's, there's little things that are going okay, but the truth is we do not have the capacity or the love to use control well consistently over and over again. We have limits to our capacity, limits to our love. We have limits that make it so we abuse control. So it's actually a good thing that, that we don't have control. And there's freedom in acknowledging, yeah, this is the problem. I want control, but I can't have it. Because then we can move towards the solution. And you already know what the solution is because Alan told you all last week what the solution is. And because we're in church. And anybody, anytime somebody in church asks you what the answer is, you know that the answer is Jesus, right? I mean, we're all in church. We know. So if anybody stands up here and says, Here's the problem. What's the answer? We all know the answer is Jesus, right? I mean, I hope it's okay to poke fun a little bit there because I think it's easy for that statement to come across as trite or oversimplified. We have to understand, though, what it really means that Jesus is the solution to the problem of control. What does that actually mean? How is Jesus the solution to that? Now, if you've been around church a lot or you've been around church people, you might think, well, you know, I've, I've got a pretty good answer for that. You know, here's, here's the answer that the, the solution to control is, one, acknowledge that God is real. Two, acknowledge that Jesus is from God. Three, follow Jesus' rules so I can be a good person. In other words, follow Jesus' rules so I get better at controlling my life. Right? So that, that's, the, that's the solution, right? Jesus came to show us that God is real, that he's from God, and to show us how to live, like, th 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 that's it. That's, that, that, that seems like that might be the solution. But what, what do you think Jesus himself would say? Because if, if we're asking, how is Jesus the solution to this problem, maybe we should allow him to speak into that answer, to tell us how he's the solution to the problem of control. So we're going to look in John chapter 3 today. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them. I'm going to pray well, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come to you today. And, and as much as we can, Lord, we, we just take a moment to open our hearts. And wh whatever might have been closed when we came into this room today, whatever, whatever part of our life we might have cordoned off, whatever thing we, we came in here today saying, that, that's not touchable, God. We want to open that to you and say, would you speak your life, your peace, your love, your guidance, your heavenly direction into our life? so that we may trust you and walk more closely with you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> to, in order to see how Jesus would answer this question about how he's the solution to the problem of control, we're going to look at an encounter he had with a guy named Nicodemus. And this, it's in the Gospel of John, and, and John was a, a guy who was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote down the things that he saw and heard when he was with Jesus. And we, he's writing about this experience, and, and he starts by telling us some very important things about who Nicodemus is and what he believes. It says in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So before we even know his name, we know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were a religious Jewish sect of the time. And the Pharisees uh, had a number of beliefs. They believed uh, that, that God is real. And, and, and Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, believed that God ultimately had control over certain things, that only God had control over certain things. In fact, the Pharisees were one of the groups at that time who would not lobby to overthrow the Roman occupation at the time because they believed that God was ultimately responsible for that and the right time God would send someone to help that happen. But it wasn't their responsibility. It was in God's control. 
But the Pharisees also believed when it came to their personal lives, when it came to their lives and how they lived, they had to solve that problem of control. And they believed the response to that problem of control was rules. So, so Nicodemus said, hey, I, I can't control that, but what I can control, everything I have control uh, over in my life, I want to have clear rules, clear guidelines of what's good, what's bad. Because the Pharisees did recognize that one of their chief aims as humans was to live in a way that pleased God. And the best way in their mind to please God was to know exactly what God liked and didn't like for every single aspect of their lives. From the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. So Nicodemus memorized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules about washings, about eating. They had rules that governed what he ate, what he prayed, when he prayed, how many steps he could take on the Sabbath before he sinned. He had rules that governed everything, and it gave him clarity, and it gave him a sense of control. Now, he was also a ruler, it tells us, a member of the Sanhedrin, which is sort of a ruling council over Israel, and he probably got to that position because he was really good at control, really good at obeying the rules that were there. And so then in verse 2, it says, he comes to Jesus as night, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So we learn a couple more important things about Nicodemus. We see that Nicodemus believes that Jesus is a teacher who's come from God. He believes that Jesus is from God. That, that, that Jesus' teachings represent godly wisdom worth following. He recognized that Jesus has the capacity to control things that are way beyond his control. He said, you can do miracles. You can do things that I couldn't dream of. And the only explanation, Jesus, for the kind of control that you have over healings and all these things, the only explanation is divine, is that it's from God, that you are from God. Now, this is a huge deal for Nicodemus. Okay, it's a huge deal because it was highly unusual for Pharisees to acknowledge that. In Matthew 2, there's a story where some people bring a demon-possessed man to Jesus. And it says, uh, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. That's what Jesus does. So that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So you've got Nicodemus who says, Jesus, you're doing miracles. You must be from God. And you've got all the other Pharisees saying, Jesus, you're doing miracles. You must be of Satan. Do you see the difference? Why? How can both people, both who are Pharisees, both look at the same thing and one say, you're of the devil, and one say, you're of God? How? Control. Control is a part of that. Because if Jesus is from Satan, I don't have to listen to anything he says. It doesn't matter what miracles he does. It doesn't matter what authority he has, because the authority he has is evil. So I, I don't have to listen to him. He has no control over my life if he's from the devil. But if Jesus is from God, if I'm a Pharisee who believes that God is real, who's trying to please God, and I think that Jesus is of God and I accept it, now I have to submit myself to Jesus. Now it's not just that Jesus is in charge, God is in charge of the world. It's that God is in charge of 
me and this person, Jesus, who I can see, taste, touch, and feel, I have to suddenly let myself be corrected by him. And I have to surrender to him. I have to submit to him. In some way, I have to submit to him. And that is hard. It's so hard to be corrected. It's so hard to admit we are wrong. Because when we admit we are wrong, we give up control. And it's hard to give up control. Because control is addictive. Control is addictive. We get so wrapped up in controlling our life and controlling our own narrative about who we are, the narrative about what's happened to us. And and we get wrapped up in trying to define what is right and what is good in a way that fits our agenda. That makes sense to us. That we miss things that can set us free. The Pharisees had gotten to a place where they were so committed to having control that they were con- when they were confronted with something that was obviously divine and good, they rejected it. And that teaches us something. It teaches us that control corrupts us. You know, say absolute power corrupts absolutely. The pursuit of control will corrupt us to the point to where we start calling evil things good and good things evil. And we'll look at people who are trying to help us and, and trying, to, trying to correct us in a loving way. And we will blame them and we will accuse them of trying to do evil. Because we're trying to control. Nicodemus is different. He knows somehow. He, he knows. He knows. I, you know, the, the truth is control. It's not good for me to have ultimate control. I know I don't have to have ultimate control. I'm willing to, 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 to accept control from somewhere else. I'm open to giving Jesus some level of control of my life. So here's what we know about Nicodemus so far. Nicodemus acknowledges that God is real. Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is from God. Okay? And Nicodemus is open to being taught by God and following Jesus' teaching. Does that sound familiar? So if, 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 as we talked about earlier, if that's our idea of what the solution is, then what should Jesus' response to Nicodemus be? If, if the solution to the problem of control is, okay, I acknowledge that God is real. I acknowledge that Jesus is from God. I acknowledge that I need to apply Jesus' teachings to my life. If that's what it means to have the solution to control, then what is Jesus going to say to Nicodemus? Awesome, dude! Give me a high five. You're right on track. You're doing well. This is exactly what you need to do. Well done, Nicodemus. I'm on your side. Let's go grab a drink, right? He's going to say, hey, we're, we're on the same page. This is awesome. But let's see what Jesus' response actually is. In verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you. Now, that, that, that statement there is actually a really strong statement in the original language. It's literally translated, amen, amen. And we hear that, and we think that, that Jesus is saying, like, amen, Nicodemus. But, but no, he's saying, listen, Nicodemus, stop, listen. You need to really understand something here. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one. Not you, Nicodemus. Not anyone, no one can see the kingdom of God unless. Now, the kingdom of God refers to the reign, the authority, the control of God. It's the place where his love and his grace and his mercy is perfectly expressed. And and we'll get to experience the fullness of that in heaven, but we can still get tastes of it here, get tastes of God's authority and his love and his control here in our life. Because you notice that it says no one can see the kingdom of God. It doesn't say the kingdom of God doesn't exist. The kingdom of God is there. 
The control of God is there. The love of God is there. The peace of God is there. The wholeness of God is there. The healing of God is there. The grace of God is there. The question is, what do we need to do to access? Whether we believe it or not, it's there. The question is, are we going to access, are we going to get to experience it in our lives? No one can see the kingdom of God unless. If you want to see the authority of God, Nicodemus, if you want to see the power of God, the love of God, if you want to see it in the world around you, you want to experience it in your own life, you must be what? Born again. Jesus looks at all of Nicodemus' rules, all of everything else, and he says, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. This is what you need to do. So This is the solution to your problem, Nicodemus. I see you trying to get control. I see you trying to live a good life. What you really need to do is you need to become one of these. That's my son Silas. See how I just worked that in there? Uh, he, that's when he was, he's one and a half now. That's when he was just born, the day he was born. And you all can smile and say, ah, because he's sleeping. But if you have one of these, you know that this can very quickly change to this. Right? Okay? And this is what Nicodemus needs to become. And, 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 and Nicodemus is confused. He says, what, what do you mean? How, how can a, a grown man be born again? And Jesus goes on to explain, hey, this is about the spirit. The spirit gives birth to spirit, not flesh. And I love this image that Jesus gives of being born again because it addresses the problem of control directly head on. Because when you become a baby, what do you give up? Control. How much control does a baby have? Not very much. They don't get to control what family they're born into. They don't get to control where they go, who they hang out with. They don't get to control anything. A baby is absolutely helpless. A baby will die. It can't even control enough to keep itself alive without help. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to give everything up. All your way of thinking, all your rules, all the, all, you've got to give it all up and you've got to start all over again. Go all the way back to being a baby. Now, this is not about guilt. You notice Jesus doesn't say, shame on you, Nicodemus, you're a moron. Let me tell you the right thing. And it's not about perfection. Jesus doesn't say, Nicodemus, you aren't good enough. Because, because who has more or less control over whether or not they're good or bad? Adult Nicodemus or baby Nicodemus? Right? So, so are babies perfect? No. So when Jesus calls Nicodemus to be born again, he's not calling him to perfection. He's calling him to dependence. So you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be teachable. Because babies are absolute sponges. That's why you don't say swear words around a two-year-old. Right? Okay? Because they're absolute sponges. And so he's saying, Nicodemus, it's not that you have to be perfect. You just have to become teachable again. You have to let it all, you have to go back and let yourself be reshaped by me. You know, Silas, he, he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he believes. Silas, do you know how Silas is going to find out who he is? Because we tell him. Silas has no sense of identity. No sense of what's imp important to him or what's not important. No sense of how to spend his money, how to spend his time. No sense of how to handle when someone hurts him. He doesn't know any of that stuff. He's going to learn it from who? 
from us, his parents. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to let go of everything, and you've got to be 100% personally dependent upon the divine, loving authority of God. Go all the way back to being a baby. Let everything go and say, I am going to rely solely on the divine, loving authority of God in my life to determine what is right and wrong, to determine who I am, to determine what's important. And can I tell you, that's actually incredibly freeing. When you, when, you, when you finally get to the place, and I know because I, I came to, to Christ later in life, and I remember getting to the place where I, where I could finally say, oh, I don't have to determine who I am. I don't have to pretend in this circle to be this person or to pretend to be this person in this circle. I don't have to pretend to be that I got everything together. I don't have to hide things anymore because you know what else babies are? Babies are naked. Babies are N-E-double-K-I-D naked. They got nothing on both physically and emotionally. Everything a baby is feeling, you know. So it's not that, that Jesus says, hey, you got to be perfect. He said, you just got to come before me naked, 100% authentic, be free. Be free with me because I love you. It's safe here. And let me shape you again. Now, when I say divine... God's divine loving authority. I want to be clear that I'm not just talking about some sort of nebulous force God. And Jesus isn't either. He's actually really clear in this passage. He goes on. It tells us uh, in verse 9, Nicodemus says, How can this be? And Jesus says, You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And then he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And this is a title from the Old Testament that Jesus is putting on himself. And Nicodemus would have known that. And he would know that by taking that title, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I have the authority and the capacity to exercise control. And then Jesus goes on and says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, the first part of that is a reference to a story in the Old Testament. You can read it for yourself if you want Numbers 21, verses 4 to 8, if you want to know the details. The short version is that the people of Israel are in the desert, and they're getting bitten by a bunch of poisonous snakes. And so God tells Moses to put a snake on a pole and set it up. And he says, if anybody gets bit by a snake, they just got to look at the pole and they'll be healed. Now, this is significant because it's all about control. Because they actually have no control over not whether or not they get healed. They, they, they can't do anything. They can't give themselves medicine. They can't exercise any medical practices. In fact, when they look at the snake, they probably don't feel any different. Right? It's not like they look at the snake and they see the poison out of their fingers. They had to look at it, not feel any different, and say, well, I must be healed. They had to put their full trust. And then Jesus goes on and compares that to his crucifixion. The Son of Man must be lifted up. This is so significant. Just as the Israelites, Jesus is saying, look, Nicodemus, just as the Israelites didn't have the ability to heal themselves, just like they had to give up the ability to heal themselves, you have to give up your ability to be good enough. You have to give up your ability to control everything. You have to give up your control over everything in your life and become a baby. And let me direct. Let me guide. Surrender to me. 
Jesus says, hey, I see all your rules. I see the cycle of control that's in your life. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. It's scary. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to live like that because I have the capacity to control your life. By the way, I also love you enough to exercise that control well because I'm going to die. Son of man must be lifted up as a reference to his crucifixion. I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. Right where you are, right now, where you are, whatever you are, I'm going to die for you as you are because I want you to be a part of my family. It goes on. Because Jesus says, hey, I'm making this way for you. I'm here to tell you you don't have to live like that. You can start over. You can rely on my divine loving authority. And then he's going to say, here's the step you need to take. And you know what, Nicodemus? You believe I'm from God, great. You believe I'm a teacher that's from God, great. Here's the next step you need to take. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And it goes on to that famous passage we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so the answer is simple. Believe. That's, that, that's, that's the, the exit out of the prison of control. That's the, that's the solution James, uh, Jesus came to offer us, is believe in him. But I think that can be confusing, as simple as it is, because of how we use the term believe in our modern-day culture, what it means for us. That for us, so often, I think, we use the term belief to mean a, a acknowledging an objective uncertainty. Right, so I see my friend Mark right there. Mark is wearing a black shirt, right? And I can say, I see that's a black shirt. It's an objective certainty. I acknowledge it. I believe Mark is wearing a black shirt. I see the moon. The moon is up in the sky. It's an objective certainty. I accept that, that objective certainty that the moon exists. But here's the thing. Nicodemus already believes all those objective certainties about Jesus. He believes Jesus exists. He's not looking at Jesus saying, you're a figment of my imagination. He believes that. He believes that Jesus is from God. He believes objective certainties about God that other people are rejecting. Objective certainties about Jesus that other people are rejecting. He believes all of them. But Jesus says it's more than that. That's not belief. Belief is not just an objective acknowledgement of an objective certainty. It's depending personally depending on his divine, loving authority. The moon doesn't change my life, but if I'm relying on Jesus personally every day, he's changing my life. He's shaping me. The moon can't shape you, but Jesus can shape you and shape your heart. Jesus says, hey, don't, don't just believe I exist. Surrender to me. Surrender your career to me. Surrender your money to me. Surrender your way of thinking. Surrender your idea of right and wrong. Surrender it all to me and let me reshape it. It's easy to say, why, you know, Jesus, why do you talk about the whole born again stuff? It's just confusing. It's confusing to Nicodemus. It's confusing to me. Why don't you just jump to the believe in me stuff? Because, Nicod because belief and born again are the same thing. When we believe in Jesus, we are being born again. So often we think that, that what happens with born again is that I say I need to be forgiven, and then I accept Jesus, and then Jesus births in me something new. But, but I think what, what actually Jesus is saying here is that to believe is to be born again. That, that what it means to believe is for me to give up everything and give myself fully over to Jesus. That's actually what it means to believe. They're not two separate things. They are the same thing. So he's saying, Nicodemus, 
you can't stay the way you are and just add me to your life. You can't hold on to all of your rules. You can't hold on to all of your ideas. You can't hold on to those and add me to your life. You have to start all over again and let me teach you those things. Let me teach you from the beginning. You can't stay the way you are and just pour a little bit of me over it. I'm not gravy, Jesus says. I'm the whole meal. And you know what the promise is that Jesus then says? You, you can't control death. You can't control what happens after death. But I can. It says, if you trust me, you're born again, I will take care of you. Your eternal life will be secure in me. And he says, we can trust him with death, that I, Jan, can trust him with the death of my dad and what happens after him because I can trust his loving control. Whatever it may be, whatever it might be, I can trust it. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to a whole new way of life, a life of surrender. And he gives each of us the same invitation. So let me just ask, how are you doing with the problem of control? How's that going with you right now? What if, what if our response as a body of believers at Mountain Park to all the craziness of the things that we can't control was to acknowledge that there is someone who is in control? Acknowledge that there's someone who controls and we can trust him. And then what if we look at the things that we do have control over and we say there is a God who has the authority and the love to tell me what is the best decision in my life. And I can trust that God will help me exercise my control in a way that reflects his love and his truth. We can do that. We can do that today. We can surrender every aspect of our life to him. The band's going to come out here in a minute. They're going to play a song called I Surrender All. And the idea is just being able to say, Jesus, every aspect of my life, I surrender. Surrender, by the way, is not quitting. Quitting is stopping. Quitting is saying, I'm stopping. Surrendering is not stopping. Surrendering is saying, I am now underneath your authority. I'm giving me to you. You've conquered me. I'm now underneath your authority. It's going to the other team and playing for them. And we have that option. So, uh, you know, I, I want you to think about this. Is there an area of your life that you're holding on to that you've said, man, I'm going to control this. I get to decide this. An area of, of relationships or your career or your money or whatever, an area that you've just been struggling with control. Maybe it's death. You never actually said, I surrender this to God. Or maybe, maybe you've never really just surrendered your whole life to Christ at all. Maybe like Nicodemus, you've said, I believe there's a God. And you've said, yeah, I believe Jesus comes from God. And you've said, yeah, I want to live a good life. But you've struggled over and over again to have enough control. You've struggled and everything. And you've never just said, okay, I'm done. I'm now going to become a baby. And Jesus, let you love me. I'm going to find my worth, my value, my everything in who you are and who you say that I am. So I want you to do me a favor. Just close your eyes. What is it that you want to surrender over to Jesus this morning? Because every time we gather, there's an opportunity, not just for us to hear from God, but to respond to him. So what is it right now? Just, just let God speak to you first. What is that thing that he's saying? Surrender that control. And as, as David sings this song, I just want you to just 
Think about releasing that and saying, Jesus, I trust you. His presence daily I surrender all Oh, I surrender all Oh, to Thee Whatever you've surrendered to Jesus this morning, he is big enough and loving enough to handle it. He's big enough and loving enough to handle it from now forever. Hope you guys will join us next week as we continue on in part three of the series. Thank you so much. Oh, we are going to have a prayer team. So if you, if you, if you surrendered something to Jesus today and you want, you want someone to pray with you, we have a prayer team. We'd love to pray with you for that. Please feel free to come up and pray with them. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for coming.